Welcome to A Journey of Transformation Empowerment. You're listening to Antonio T. Smith Jr. Where ideas ignite, change, and possibilities are endless. Before we dive into today's episode, we have something special for our listeners. Today's podcast is brought to you by a groundbreaking book that's reshaping the conversation around Black economic empowerment. It's Resegregation, Volume 1, The Power Matrix, a master plan for Black group economics with wealth creation, authored by visionary Antonio T. Smith, Jr., Antonio isn't just an author. He's a former top-secret combat special operations intelligence sergeant turned millionaire. His life work championed the economic autonomy and wealth creation within black communities. In this seminal work, dedicated to teachings of Dr. Claude Anderson, Antonio outlines a comprehensive blueprint covering critical sectors like finance, technology, manufacturing, and more. He blends military discipline with acute understanding of systematic disparity. This isn't just a book. It's a movement. A call to action to create lasting wealth and reshaping the economic narrative. Antonio's vision is clear. Drive a significant shift toward black ownership and control. Listeners, if you've ever wondered about innovative strategies for wealth creation or how technological transformation can uplift the black communities, then this book is for you. Join Antonio Smith Jr. on the transformative journey. Pick up your copy of The Resegregation Volume 1, The Power Matrix today and be a part of the reshaping future. Now, let's dive into the episode and explore the possibilities that await us. Lecture 13, Luke 1, 26-33, The Promised King. Father, thank you, God, for what you've done for us. And thank you for giving us the, the sense enough, or, or I'm not sure what you've given us, but whatever it is, we remain faithful to you. Uh, we don't always need 30 people, 300 people. God, everybody in this room Amen. will praise you, even if we're Amen. all by ourselves. We'll gather in your name, and we'll give you all the praise. And God, thank you for that, because there used to be a time when all three of us would not do anything like that. (laughs) We'd give much more time to Satan than we ever would you. But God, life has changed, and our lives have changed, because you changed us. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen, amen. Amen. Well, that's all right, but we're going to... Get it started anyway. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 33 is where we're going to be now. 
and it's fitting uh, with, with many, with the storms and stuff that happened in Houston and people are recovering from all those, the massive floodings and a lot of people are going to be, or are absent and are going to be absent today. And, and so we have a few brethren and it's always good to have the brothers in the church. Amen. Amen. Men, men are powerful creatures in which the Lord has given power and we ought to use that power to serve him. Amen. So Luke chapter 26, verses 30, 20, excuse me, Luke chapter 1, excuse me, I'm sorry. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 33 is what we're going to discuss. Yeah, yeah it's tw- 20, Luke chapter 1, yes, in the sixth month, verse 26. Well, here's what I'm going to do this time. I want to read first, and then I'm going to recap what we've been doing, and then I'm going to explain some other things, but I want to read these verses. And then I want you to hear everything else I'm about to say through these, through the lens of these verses, 26 through 33. Luke chapter 1, 26 through 33. Today is a good lesson, not, not from any talent of mine, but the word of God is good. And this is through 33. Yes, sir. In the, oh, did you want to read it? Okay, he's going to read it. Well, no, no, you go ahead. You go ahead and read it. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Twenty six. Twenty six through. Well, yeah, that's it. And in the sixth month, mm-hmm. the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her. And said, Hail, thou that thou art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angels said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the High. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Thank you very much, very much. Thank you all for reading, standing as we read in reverence of God's word. So here we have it. The angel comes to Mary and tells Mary she shall conceive a child, and this child shall be called the Son of the Most High. And then the angel says this kingdom shall have no end. So everything I'm about to say now, let's, let's hear Hear ye what we've just said. So we've been discussing for the last 13 weeks or so uh, a question I pose, what if? And inside this question, it has been asked over and over, what would be the message of the New Testament if it only consisted of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? And almost immediately, I crushed and smashed justification by faith. That is not to say justification by faith is not a good doctrine. It is a great 
doctrine, one of the greatest in which we need. It is not to say that Jesus Christ did not believe in justification by faith, because he also said in John chapter 14, you believe in the Father, believe also in me. Amen. So at no point am I saying that Paul or the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are saying anything different. There are no contradictory information inside the Bible. I'm way too conservative to say anything such like that. What I am saying is that we often take Paul and then we read the gospel through the lens of Paul, and this has become a little bit irresponsible. And I explained last week, in in great uh, explanation, at least I hope, that Paul wrote first, uh, about 40, a good generation or two before the gospel writers began to write. If Jesus died around 30 to 32 AD, then that means Paul started preaching about 33 to 36 AD, depending on how you, uh, it doesn't matter, depending on a few little things. But either way, it was in mid-30 AD when Paul began his missionary journeys. And then Paul would write, and Paul would write, and then Paul would write, and then the gospel writers would come write about 70 AD, 60 and things like that, right before that time. So a generation or two, especially almost three generations before the Gospel of John is written, which we know to be about 90 AD, and we know these things through extra biblical literature and some of the content in which the, uh, the, the, the gospel writers speak of. One of the synoptic gospels kind of, I believe it's Luke, um, kind of hints at the temple already being destroyed when that would have been impossible to know such information because the temple we know it was destroyed in 70 AD by the Roman Empire. And so this is why we have these dates. But here's the deal. What is the message? Like what all the, the extra biblical information aside, what, what exactly is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John saying? Because they're not saying justification by faith because we've already proven only one time in the Bible excuse me, in the Gospels is the word justification mentioned. It's mentioned by Jesus Christ with the Pharisee and the tax collector, and he says only one is justified by this day. Clearly, there are more things in which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is saying than more than just justification. In truth, justification by faith in which we love so very much and which it should be taken care of is not the main point in which Paul was ever writing about. And the truth is, uh, my brothers, is that the main point of Paul is not found in Matthew, excuse me, Romans 1 or Romans 8 or in chapters, I mean. It's not until you get to Romans chapter 12 that Paul begins to make his final point in which he, his main point. It's, but we've seen at church, folks, we seem to run out of steam when we get to 12, chapter 12. But 12, 13, and 14 is what Paul is actually trying to get at. And that's why that 12 verse, that 12 chapter, verse 1, starts off with therefore. Basically, therefore, I've been trying to talk to you this entire time because I really wanted to get to you to understand that I beseech you, brother, is to live your bodies a living, living. sacrifice. Holy and acceptable. And how can one be living sacrifice if one does not have the spirit? How can one be holy if one does not have the holy God living within them? Does that make sense? And this is what Paul is talking about. And this is why he said it's because of the spirit in Romans 13 that Paul says you bow down to your authority because your flesh can't do it. But the spirit does it. This is why you need to bow down to people who are important to you, uh, who are in charge of you, because God even submitted himself. And think about it that way. I know that sounds a bit controversial, but God definitely submitted 
because he did not have to die on the cross. Amen. He literally submitted to people who did not deserve to be submitted to. And he did such a thing by dying on the cross. So what is this message? Well, clearly, it's more than just justification. And, and clearly, you can no longer just say it's something that death, bears, death burial, and resurrection. And we, we proved that it is. But it is according to scriptures. In the last week, we, we read a couple of verses after that that said, and how it's according to these scriptures and all these things. And so now we have it to where this gospel is something so powerful, it's more than just being justified by faith. Because when you justify something, when you are justifying by faith, when you are saying justification by faith, here's what you are also saying. You're saying you have the power to save yourself through Jesus Christ. That is true, and it's not true at the same time. Jesus Christ does save. You, you do need to lend your humility unto him, but that also says that you have the power to recognize that you need to be saved. Amen. And we don't. Amen? We, we do not. So before that can happen, there's something. Before you can recognize that you need to be saved before you can recognize that you need a Christ before you can recognize that Jesus is Lord and that you confess with your mouth. We have to first discover that we, we couldn't recognize anything at all. And that's why Jesus had to come down in the first place. Amen. <laughs> Amen. He had to die because we were too ignorant to live. Amen. That's, that's basically how that comes out. Amen. And so, and so how, here's how, so Gabriel comes in in verse 26. Let's answer a little bit more of this gospel. And they say, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent to, from God to Galilee, okay? And then in, in Nazareth. Now, now, you see, here's what you have to, you have to understand. Nazareth, all this series is, is where many of the great stories have happened inside the Old Testament. So you have you have Bethlehem and all these places in which these 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 places in which God has already been doing his work for centuries before. And then God sends an angel to tell Mary that you are going to give birth to the son of the most high. So but listen, in verse 27, it says to a virgin betrothed to a man who was named Joseph. Now, here is where we start connecting the dots. Of the house of David. Now, there, now, now this, this gospel writer, Lucas, he's on to something. He, he, he's, he's, he didn't have to say which house jo Joseph came from, but he did. Because what Luke is trying to prove is that this gospel is connected to the gospel that has already been occurring, have, has already been occurred for quite some time. He has to tie in what's happening now to what's happening in days of old. If you remember 2 Samuel chapter 17, Jesus, excuse me, God promises uh, David that, you, that you're going to have, your, your kingdom shall reign forever, David. You are going to sit on the throne and all the heirs of your throne shall sit on the throne and then I'm going to send somebody to sit on that throne and that kingdom shall have no end. Okay, so let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 17 and we're going to, let's read how that plays in the part 
And then we'll tell you exactly what's going on and why this gospel is much more than just Jesus Christ dying on the cross. That's the climax of the gospel. But the second Samuel chapter 17 is where we find what you call the Davidic covenant. That's it. That's it. So we'll flip real quick right here. And this is get, This is about to get, we're about to pick up the pace a little bit. This is about to get very, very interesting. I said 2 Samuel chapter 17. Uh, uh, yeah, 1 Samuel chapter 17, I think. I think I was wrong. Let's see. 2 Samuel 7 chapter. I said 17. 7th chapter. There we go. 2 Samuel 7 chapter. I said 17. Now we're back on track. 2 Samuel 7 chapter. There we go. Now we have it. I apologize for that. The Lord's covenant with David. Start at verse 8 for me. Verse 8. Yep. 2 Samuel chapter 8. Therefore, so shall thou say unto the servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep gate, from following the sheep to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I was with thee whatsoever, whithersoever thou wentest, and have cut off all of thine enemies out of thy sight, and have made thee a great name, like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth. Okay, so skip to verse 12 for me. 12. It said, and when... When thy day be fulfilled, and thy shall sleep with thy father, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. You can stop right there. That's good enough. Did you hear that? So here, here it is. David is, telling, David is being told by a prophet, listen, you are going to have a son. And this son is going to build my house. And in building of my house, he shall be my son and he shall reign forever. Now, at first glance, it would make you believe he's talking about Solomon. And that's not to say that he's not. But this is one of those scriptures that are talking about both now and in the future, right? Both descriptive and prescriptive. But this is now and then. And so who greatly fits this description? Jesus. And they are expecting this son to come bring back the kingdom. And they are expecting to be kings over their own land and rule the whole world. So let's go back to Luke and let me read again. What is happening? In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God in the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man who was named Joseph. But listen, of the house of David. He had to be in order for. Okay, so here's how it works. Genealogy in the Hebrew uh, culture is very important. So when you have. So you take on the father's uh, heritage and his lineage. So Jesus Christ would have had to be born from someone in the line of David. Watch. Let's keep reading because then we're going to talk about Mary here in a little bit. 
And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her, greetings, O favorite one. But she was greatly troubled and tried to discern of this greeting. And then the angel said, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor and behold, you will conceive a bare son. And his name shall be Jesus. And he will be great, called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of who? His father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob, which is also Israel, forever. And the kingdom shall what? Have no end. So not only was Mary Hebrew, and not only was Joseph Hebrew, but they're of the line of David. Has to be. Why? Because the text, the scriptures, God promised that the king will come from David. Had God not, had God defaulted on his promise, we would have no reason to believe in the resurrection. See, the reason we believe in the resurrection is because we take God at his word. And the reason we take God at his word is because we know God has never sinned. And the reason we confess in the Christ is because we know the Christ has never sinned. And the reason why the covenants were never broken by the Christ is because this Christ never sinned. And the reason we believe that if we die, we'll be raised because God said it. And you don't always have to have all the answers. What you do have to have is a God that always has kept his word. And so since he's never failed you before, you have no choice but to believe he'll raise you from the dead. Does that make sense? And so now here we have it to where Luke is, he's, he's giving us that this Jesus Christ will be born from a virgin and they're going to be born in the line of David. This is important because what does Jesus Christ's name means? Jesus the king. So God is promising the king will be born through a virgin and what it says in verse 20. Start at verse 32. He will be great. He'll be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And watch it. And he will reign over Israel forever. And his kingdom, there will be no end. Two things I want to explain to you. Two things I want to explain to you that make This is the amazing plan of God at work. Two things. For one, the reason why Jesus Christ's kingdom shall have no end. The reason why in 2 Samuel chapter 7, I said 17, I apologize for that, chapter 7. The reason why God was able to tell David that his kingdom will have no end is because God was always talking about Jesus Christ. Now, 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 let's break this down for a second. Let's, let's explain to you some world history. In order to be the king, the new king must have offsprings to spread his lineage. If he wanted his name to last forever, he must reproduce and make sure he provides enough security that his male children don't get killed 
by someone else trying to take the throne. Does that make sense? So if I was a new king, if I overthrew the throne, then I would have to kill all the male descendants of the one king. Whether it be sons, nephews, because, because biologically, if I left one nephew and I killed all the sons and all the cousins, then biologically and by rule of, 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 of manifest destiny, basically this nephew has to be in the king because he shared the same blood of who was appointed by, and I'm using quotations here, appointed by God to be the king. Back in the world days, back in those days, all kings, they had divine uh, kingly ship. They were ruled. It's, it, was, it wasn't just that they were kings. You had to respect them more because the gods or God made sure that they were divinely the king because they were born into a kingly fam- family. And so now they're born in the kingly line. So this is divine because only God can make sure you're born in this line. Does that make sense? And so now David says, and what David is, he he hears it in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Then you're also going to hear it later later on. Luke chapter 26 to 33, God tells the angel to tell Mary, listen, this kingdom is going to have no end. Why? Because Jesus Christ shall never have an end. Think about it. Think about it this way. Here's what's going on with this gospel so much. Jesus Christ never had the need to have children. Why? Because there's no reason for him to follow that code because there's no reason for him to have the offspring because he is the first of all offsprings. Lord have mercy. He, He is what offspring very is and he shall never ever die. Therefore, there's no reason for him to replicate, right, amen, with any children. And so this is why there's no need to find out if Jesus had any children and all the historical stuff that people try to do. And I'm not, I'm not you know, archaeologist. You, you feel free to have fun. Go, go have at it. But according to Christianity, according to faith, there's no reason amen. to find these things out because Jesus didn't need to have offspring because he will never die. Amen. He died, he rose, and he would never have to think about death or experience death again. Because who Jesus Christ is needs no offsprings because he is the king. And since he's going to live forever, the kingdom must live forever too. How can you have a kingdom without a king? Amen. Amen. Second thing, think about it this way. Imagine, if you will, let me... Now, this, this is the gospel, but it's not found in the Bible. It's just found in a bit of common sense. This, imagine, if you, imagine if you needed to save the whole world, and you had one shot to do it, and you were God, <clears throat> and you needed to take the most powerful message ever heard, and you needed to make sure everyone on planet Earth heard it. Does that make sense? Okay, so before, actually, before I close with that, let me, let me bring up something else. This is another thing about original sin. Let me bring up this here real quick. Notice that the angel, God almost, according to this text, God almost seems to go out his way to make sure Joseph, uh, semen, has nothing to do with the birth of the king. This, this is why we have original sin. This is why some Christianity circles, not, not us, but this is why some, 
uh, baptize infants while others do not. And, 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 and there's biblical evidence that they do it from a biblical base. So it's, it's, not, it's not that they're, they're wrong. They just do it from a, di- they read a different interpretation a little, little differently. And they hold real heart on the, the, the um, original sin. So whatever, so since we share in Adam's punishment and we also share in his curse, God made sure that man had nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Jesus Christ became a man for us, but God made sure that man had nothing to do with his birth. Amen. Amen. So whatever was wrong with man, God cut off. (laughs) And God himself conceived himself. Come on now. God himself conceived himself and then wrapped on us and then gave us victory because he never sinned. Now, let's go back. I wanted to point that out because that is what that text is uh, bringing out. But let's go back to this this wonderful story of a toad. If you had a message that you need, if you needed to save all mankind, if you needed to save, today is 7 billion people, if you needed to save maybe 2 billion people back then, and you had your shot to do it, and you need to do it without messing up, you would, you would be very calculative with your moves, correct? You would set across a course that would say, at this point, I'm going to do this, and I already have a plan, and I'm going to let a few people know my plan. I'm going to let them know my plan, but at the end of the day, my plan will go off without a hitch. Mm. Think about it this way. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God says, listen, you're going, to, you're going to have a plan. The plan is going to work just fine because you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. Plan is now hatched. And in every step of the way, Jesus, I mean, God says, I'm going to have this. He's got Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, Davidic covenant, new covenant. And then now the New Testament, he says, this is going to happen. He's promising over and over. This shall be fulfilled because I promised it already. But if you had a message, watch what God does. The world back then had no mass communication system. There was no Google. There was no Internet. There were no cell phones. There were no Pony Express, no telegrams. So the message that must be televised had no way to be televised, using that as a metaphor. So God waited. It is is interesting that God waited until the Roman Empire ruled the whole world because Romans were so crafty and so engineeringly sound that they made roads all the way across the whole world. All the roads of the world led back to Rome. So now you have it, because it used to be, there were a few roads, but the roads were unsafe. It used to be when you had valuables, you would have to swallow your valuables, and then thieves and robbers would come and they would find you while you're traveling at night, and they would cut your stomach open, and then they would take all your valuables out your stomach. This is, this is absolutely true what happened. This isn't in the Bible, this is, this is from history, right? This is absolutely what happened. And so here's the deal. The Romans used something called crucifixion to stop this here. If you were someone who violated their law, then you would be someone that they would make an example of. And they would build the roads, but now they have to make the roads safe. So they would scare you if you were a thief or robber that would cut people open. Well, let's hang him on a cross, okay? And we're going to make sure this happens this way. So the cross had already existed before Jesus Christ. And so basically... What the, fast forward into that story, God would take the cross, which is so scary, and make it so honorable now. That's the power of God. He would take what was meant for evil 
and he would use it for our good. That, that, that's not where I was going, but I just wanted to say that there. So when you have a message that you want to go, wouldn't you wait to the roads are safe to travel and to where you can travel very fast and to where now Rome. So uh, back then, uh, the great, um, what was his name? Alexander the Great, which he did, we call Hellenized the whole world. It means make everything Greek-like. And so he's conquered pretty much the whole world and he made everybody learn Greek. This is why the New Testament is written in Greek. So everybody was basically speaking more than one language, but everybody knew Greek. It didn't matter if you were Hebrew, uh, whatever. It didn't matter. Whatever you were, you knew Greek. So God waited until the roads were safe to travel, to where there were actually roads leading to one central place. This is why Paul wanted to preach at Rome so badly. And then God waited until everyone was speaking just about one language, and then he dropped his Christ. Somebody missed what I just said. Here's the deal. This gospel is so important to God himself. God waited all these years until the roads were safe to travel, until the message can be spread, until it was safe to go, until everything was possible, and then he dropped his Christ, and then he spread his gospel when the roads and everything was safe and fast for it to go. What am I saying? This gospel is so important that not only did God make a plan for it, he then waited until the world was equipped enough to get this message as fast as possible. Because 12 people kick-started a chain reaction that now has billions of Christ-carrying, cross-carrying, Christ-believing Christians today. Why? Because of what 12 did. And they only did it because God waited for the right moment to spread his gospel. So here is what you need to know. If God was that methodical with his gospel, that he waited until we can all catch it, until we can all understand it with one good language, and then waited for the roads to be safe and waited for all the travel, then God can solve any problem in our life. Anyone, everyone. If he waited thousands of years and knew Rome was coming, because he prophesied about Rome and Daniel, he knew Rome was coming. And he was going to use Rome, who was against him, to spread his word. Don't ever think God can't hook you up. And he's too surprised or too outnumbered or your technology is too advanced for be used by him. This gospel is very important. This gospel was God wanted. Let me pray. God, we thank you for what you've done, who you are. We appreciate you. And we thank you for the promise of the kingdom. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. When the pandemic began, I had the biggest problem in the world. Not making money. The pandemic was actually quite a blessing for me as it almost made me a billionaire. I came really close. So the pandemic was a blessing. It was hiring people. And get this, everybody. I had 48 job positions open during the pandemic. $22 an hour with paid training and I could not find a single person for two years to fit any of those 48 job positions. Hear me well. 48 job positions, $22 an hour, paid training 
and I couldn't find someone, not one person, for those job positions. Now, is it because I hire slowly? True. But it's because I wasn't using ZipRecruiter. And that's a fact. I wasn't getting to the right people for the right position to fit my right culture. And there are so many different things that you can do this summer. As a matter of fact, you can free up as much time as you want to. But if you're not using ZipRecruiter, you're probably not going to free up that time if you're attempting to hire people. So what is ZipRecruiter? What is probably the greatest job finder that's out there? And that's why you need ZipRecruiter. You need it so you can find the right candidates. Now, it's not that ZipRecruiter helps you find jobs. It's more accurately that ZipRecruiter takes your culture, takes your job, takes what you're looking for, and immediately matches them with the perfect candidate. And if the if it's if they can't find a perfect candidate, they will skip over that person and then give you the perfect candidate for you. ZipRecruiter uses one of its most powerful tools, which is the technology itself, to match the right candidates up with your job. You can easily review uh, their recommendations and easily review their recommended candidates and invite these candidates to apply for your top positions. Additionally, ZipRecruiter has a complete suite of tools that makes it easy for you to filter out, uh, review, and rate candidates. Four out of five employees uh, have been used by four out of five employers on ZipRecruiter. It is a blessing. And no wonder ZipRecruiter is rated number one hiring site in the world based on G2 satisfaction ratings as of this year, January 1st. My friends, soak up everything I said. It's not an ad. This is a personal testimony of how I found the right people to sit in the right seat on the right bus. Without ZipRecruiter, it wouldn't have been possible. So how do you take advantage of what I'm talking about? Well, you go to ZipRecruiter.com slash B2B. All spelled the regular way. That's Zip, Z-I-P, Recruiter, R-E-C-R-U-I-T-E-R. ZipRecruiter.com slash B2B. And I promise you, you will be grateful that you did so. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash B2B. It's also in the show notes.